0: Colossians uh, chapter 4 and uh, it's great to be able to kind of look at this and just to consider you know uh, what's going on to us the last few weeks um, we've I'll just kind of go back over the series briefly I'll do it like fast you ready okay So in the first few weeks, we actually looked at what Jesus has done for us, what God did through Christ, sending him to the earth to save us, to bring us into his family. We laid a good, solid, Paul in his letter writes, a good, solid foundation of doing that. Then he spends, uh, the last several weeks we've been spending kind of talking about, okay, so, so what then? How do we live in accordance with that? So you get truth, so what's it mean to you, right? And so we've been kind of working through that. The last two or three weeks in particular, focusing in on like Monday through Friday Christianity. I mean, we, you know, we can sometimes get wrapped up thinking, you know, the Christian life's just all about Sunday mornings and weekends and maybe community group night or something like that. And it's like, no, no. Look, it's your day-to-day life. It's your relationship with your spouse. It's your relationship with your kids. It's how you deal with work issues and how you deal with your employer if you're an employer how you uh, deal with your employees i mean it has this gospel that we have uh, believed that christ has come he has radically saved us he's redeemed not just us but he's redeemed the things that we do and we're actually a part of that work and so now we get to so we've looked at kind of why okay that would be the first several things about what jesus has done for us that would answer the why question why are we doing what we do the second part was like, well, what are we doing exactly? How do we live this out? But now I kind of want to look a little bit at how. How is it we're to, li- to do this stuff? How is it we do this? How is it that we live this life? And I think what we begin to see is actually that we find out that Jesus has some things that he loves and that he does, and we actually want to learn what those things are and- so that we can love the same things Jesus loves and do the same things that Jesus does, Right? That's really what we, we want to, uh, to begin to focus on here. And so we have this thing we've kind of been going through. Uh, how do we do that? How do we live this life, this day-to-day Christianity, this kind of meat of life that kind of goes through our existence? It's the day-by-day kind of stuff. You can kind of get lost in it and think, well, my day-to-day life, how important is it really? Well, let me just give you a quote from a guy named Ed Stetzer. Ed Stetzer... He's a missiologist, and he talks about the church. And here's here's what he says. He says that the church of God, the church of God, does not so much have a mission as the mission of God has a church. In other words, there's a God who, who actually wants to save people. He wants to bring people back into relationship with Him. And that's His mission. And we, the church, are part of that. His mission has a church. We are the ones who get to communicate that, throughout the world, not just on a Sunday, but day by day by day in the lives that we lead. And so Paul kind of goes into that, and he talks about continuing steadfastly in prayer, continuing fed steadfastly in prayer. Now, I had to think about this a little bit. I'll, I'll give a little background here, but Annette and I, we've been married for a while, not as long as Rick and Gail. Congratulations to those guys, 33 years. We've been 28 plus. We're getting on to 29 next year. So it's, it's kind of cool to, to look back and realize Annette loves some things that when we first started kind of getting to know one another, I was just like, uh, I don't love that. Like Shakespeare. I mean, she, not, not Shakespeare, the pizza house in Columbia. I mean, William, you know, Bill Shakespeare, the guy who's written like tons of plays and prose and poems and all kinds of stuff. Honestly, I mean, I didn't really care much about. I was a football player. I liked to play some music, some, but man, literature was just not my thing. And and what I started realizing is, I, I was scared. It wasn't just that I didn't like it. I was scared of actually wading into William Shakespeare, these and thous and verily. I don't know why I was scared. We grew up in a church that was King James Bible only, and so I mean, I was used to these, thous and verilies, but. For some reason, it really scared me, it really kind of, and and so, but guess what, I went from not really caring much about it, getting over some of my fears that we've been married for a while now, and guess what, I really like Shakespeare. Now, I'll be honest, I've never read like a play all the way through myself, but I've watched several plays, uh, either via, you know, video, or we've gone to like Shakespeare in the Park a few times. But why? Why Why would that happen? Why would I go from really not liking something to being, you know, and being scared of it to actually liking it and not being afraid to talk about some of the implications of his, of Shakespeare's writings? Well, it's because we've had lots of conversations, and I really uh, have grown to, to love Annette more and more, and so I love the things that Annette loves more and more. And I hope I've influenced her to like football a little bit more as well. I'm not sure <laughs> she, she does. She likes football pretty well, thank God. Okay, and so... We have some things now that we didn't used to have in common that we do now have in common. And so when he says, continue steadfastly in prayer, I, th- I found that I had to... I'm not a Greek scholar, okay? I'm just not. But I have a, a thing. I looked it up. You know, I looked up the, the word that's used here. And it was an interesting word about approaching someone. This is kind of what it meant. Approaching someone to exchange wishes. I thought, well, that's fascinating. That's prayer. Approaching someone to exchange wishes. And I started thinking, well, that's exactly what prayer is. Approaching, God's inviting us to come to Him, to speak with Him, to share what's in our hearts, to, to be able to share our wishes with Him. God, here's what's going on. Here's what I would like to see happen. He, we, he does that. In fact, He invites that. But not just that. I mean, and that should be enough, right, to like encourage you and me to want to pray, to want to continue to keep coming back to God over and over again and praying continuously. But, but it also, it, it has to, it's an exchange, right? So I'm sharing wishes with him, but he's also sharing his wishes with me, his, his desires, his heart's longings as well. God's a God who has great heart longings. And so, I mean, he, he brings his wishes to you as you're bringing your wishes to him. Now, my kids, they often have wishes and desires. They usually show up around birthdays and Christmas, uh, you know, that they have these laundry lists of desires that kind of come out now. You know, I'd like this, that, this, that. And so in our conversations, not at those moments exactly, but as we talk over time, what happens is I hear their desires, and and I'm able to share desires with them that I have for them. Because guess what? My desires for them may not be the very things that they're wanting, you know, uh ezra may want a you know a shotgun well he's probably going to get one at some point but when he was young you know five or six years old yeah that's probably not going to happen because i have wishes for my son to live a long life (laughs) you know i'd like him to live past six and so you know he's 13 now so we've kind of bridged that gap but you know it was it was one of those things it's like well yeah he he may have wishes but i have wishes as well and I want to communicate that sometimes my kids, their wishes might just be for stuff, but my wishes are, hey, I want you to have wisdom. I want you to live a, a, a wise life. I want, you, I want you to actually have integrity about the things that you do. You understand when I approach God, it's similar. I have wishes. I come to Him and He's like, yeah, Steve, I understand that, but here's some wishes I have for you. I want you to have some wisdom. I want you to have integrity. I want you to walk uprightly, okay? So we exchange these wishes and over time what happens is my life becomes conformed to His wishes, not just spouting out my own, not just taking his, my wishes to Him all the time. That means prayers a conversation and it's back and forth. We're talking to one another. I had a friend recently called me up, and, and he was, he's, he's wanting to lead in a certain area, lead a little group of people, and, and he's like, hey, you know, I want to do this thing. And, and basically what it was, what he was wanting to do was like a, a convenience thing. It was a thing of, hey, you know, I know we're doing this big thing, but actually I've got some other plan that I want to do. And, and so we were able to talk through it. He had a wish for convenience, and I had a wish for him to be an inspirational leader. So I said, well, I know it's inconvenient for you to do this, but you need to come back, and you need to lead. See, sometimes we, we have wishes that are they're okay, they're fine. I mean, there's nothing wrong with convenience. But isn't there something better to live for than our own conveniences? Isn't there something greater that God has for us than just our convenience, our comfort, our ease? And so I was able to share. We had an exchange of wishes, and I was able to share. And, you know, he said, yeah, you're right. I would rather lead this way than just lead uh, or not really lead by my own uh, convenience It's like that when we pray. We get together, we exchange wishes. You might think that, I mean, you might be here today and, and you might be like my Facebook friends. I get on Facebook and, I mean, there's prayer requests like all the time from friends. And I read those kind of carefully. I look at some things, not because necessarily I will pray for, I might pray for them. That's not the issue. The, the issue is what I, the content of when they're asking for prayer, it, it's interesting. I have friends who say things like, Hey, you know, pray for me. Send me some warm wishes. You know, wish me some good juju. You know what? You know, it's just like this whole list of like weird kinds of. And I'm going, prayer. What do you want? Do you want prayer or do you want good wishes? I can't do. You know, it's like one or the other. I, I really, I mean, I can do both, but it's like they're not the same thing. And, and in in our minds, sometimes we can kind of think. That prayer and good wishes or warm thoughts or congratulate, I mean, we can think that those are the same thing. And, and they do provide us with a little bit of therapeutic relief, right? I mean, they can give us a sense of comfort. People are thinking about us and concerned for us. But they're very sporadic, okay? They're not things that happen with consistency. They're infrequent, they often lack intensity, unless. Like there's, you know, someone that you're very concerned for in a very difficult situation, then you might up the intensity level. But that's not what people are often asking for. It's not what Paul is driving at in this passage where he says pray continually, where he says pray with watchfulness, when he says pray with thanksgiving. It's not the same kind of thing. Those kinds of prayers that my Facebook friends, and I love them to death, but those kinds of things they often are asking for, they fail to grasp the intensity that Paul is shooting for here when he says, hey, there's an exchange of ideas that needs to happen between you and God. They discount the fact that God is on a mission, that He wants His family back, that He loved us enough that He would send His dear Son to die for us on the cross. It loses some of that. It's nothing wrong with it. It's just that it's not getting what this passage seems to be driving at when Paul talks about prayer. Look at the words he uses. Continued, steadfast, watchful, thankful. These prayers seem to be aimed at something bigger than just our comfort. They seem to be aimed at something bigger than just our temporary relief. Relentless prayer is alert and full of thanksgiving. And that Idea makes no sense if we're just wishing people good luck, good wishes, good juju, whatever it is, right? That makes no sense. But we as Christians can actually fall into those ideas about what prayer is. Piper says this way, John Piper, uh, I think it'll be up here on the board, it's a fairly long quote, but it says, probably the number one reason why prayer malfunctions in the hands of believers is that we turn a wartime walkie-talkie into a domestic intercom. But what have millions of Christians done? I've done it. You've probably done it. We've stopped believing that we're at war. No urgency, no watching, no vigilance, no strategic planning, just peace and prosperity. What do we do with that walkie-talkie? Well, we try to rig it up as an intercom in our houses and cabins and boats and cars, not to call firepower from, uh, for conflict with a mortal enemy, but to ask for more comforts in the den. Ow! I think he gets at something here, that Paul's trying to get at when he says, guys, continue steadfastly in prayer. This is a big challenge for us. Let's consider these, like the past like three weeks that we've been kind of looking at these passages. He talks about husbands and wives and parents and kids and uh, employers and employees. Let's just consider those things just for a moment, okay? And let's consider why Paul might say here, hey, continue steadfastly in prayer. I mean, the things that The Christian life, what what Jesus leads us into, if we're going to follow Him, to be married, to be a husband to one wife, to be a wife to one husband, to live that out is an impossible task. Husbands, love your wives. Lay down your life for her daily, moment by moment. It's impossible. I cannot do it on my own. I fail at it all the time, and that's even with prayers. All right? Women. Respect your husband. Submit to them as to the Lord. Impossible. Impossible. Kids, honor your parents and obey them in every way. Honor them and obey them in every way. There's no way we can accomplish that. Employees, or excuse me, parents, don't frustrate your kids. Okay? Don't just punish them, but discipline them, shape them. Don't frustrate them. It's impossible to do on our own. Employees, give 100% of yourself to the job every moment. Every day. Are you kidding me? Really? We're supposed to live that way? Bosses, be kind and generous to your employees. Continuously. Don't be harsh with them. Realize that you serve the Lord in heaven, and this, the way he treats you is the way you treat your employees. Man, I mean, this is huge stuff. It's impossible to do. But this is what the church is supposed to look like. This is the new community that God has called us to be is a community that, no, we're not perfect, we're far from it. But the kingdom of God, the the reign of Jesus is changing the way that we do life. We're doing the same things everybody else around us does. We get married, we have kids, we have jobs, but we're doing it differently. Why? Well, because we don't serve, we don't look to our spouses and say, hey spouse, I need for you to accept and love me unconditionally. Because we know we have unconditional love and acceptance from God. Now, we hopefully we get love and you know, respect from our spouses, but, but we're not like living life as if that's the most important thing in our lives because we know Jesus has given us that. Kids and parents, we, we know, hey, I'm not dependent on my kids to give me my sense of identity. Why? Well, because Jesus does. I'm not dependent on my job to give me my sense of, you know, productiveness and, and, and what I do for a living is what really... No, I, I get that from Jesus. But see, you just try doing that on your own without prayer. And you will fall flat on your face time and time again because it's impossible. We're at war, not, not in a culture. We're not in a culture where we're in a war with our own flesh, with the world, with the devil. Okay? And so, yes, be persistent in prayer. Don't give up. Be steadfast for it. Here's another prayer about stead, uh, thing about steadfast prayer A guy named George Mueller. He was a Victorian Age Christian about in the 1840s. This just blows my mind. But continuous, steadfast prayer. It says, I began in 1844, November, I began uh, to pray for the conversion of five friends, five individuals. I prayed every day without a single intermission, whether sick or healthy, on land or at sea, pressures of engagements, whatever they might be. 18 months went by before the first of the five was converted. 18 months he prayed, day in, day out. I thank God I prayed on for others 5 years elapsed 5 years and then the second one was converted I thank God for the second and prayed for the next 3 day by day I continued to pray for them and 6 years passed and the third one was converted. I prayed, Thanks God. thank God for the three, went on, prayed for the other two. These two remained unconverted. 36 years later, he wrote that the two sons of Mueller's friends had not been converted, but he wrote this, but I hope in God, I pray on and look for the answer. They are not converted yet, but they will be. In 1897, 52 years after he began to pray daily without interruption for these two men, they were finally converted after He died. Mueller understood what Luke meant when he introduced a parable that Jesus said about praying. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Isn't that amazing? What a fantastic story. I give up after like two or three times. This guy says, no, 52 years is not too much to be praying, to keep knocking on the door of heaven. God, save my friends. God, change the world around me. I've been convicted recently about my own lack of prayerlessness, my own ease at giving up or becoming weary. I think Paul reminds us, just like George reminds us here, George Mueller reminds us, hey guys, pray and don't give up. This is the beginning of that statement, pray and, and don't give up. That's a, the beginning of a story that Jesus uh, tells about this woman who approaches this, God, this judge who really, he didn't care. He wasn't really fearful of God. He didn't really... Uh, fear man he he was no respecter of persons he didn't really care about what people thought about him and this widow she was in a really tough situation someone was oppressing her making her life extremely difficult and what it says about her is that she continually went to this judge and said give me justice give me justice do what's right and it says finally this unjust judge who did not care of what god thought or what other men thought he finally said this woman is going to wear me out and he gave her what, the justice that she needed. Now, Jesus goes on not to make God out to be this unjust judge who is so hard for us to communicate with. But he says, well, how much more this God who loves you and loves the ones who will call out to him day and night, will he not give them justice? The answer is obviously, well, yeah, he will. See, we get mischievous. We kind of think that, hey, you know, I, I can't go to God too much. I don't want too many repetitive prayers. no. He invites us to continuously, aggressively attack His throne with our requests. We do it pretty consistently around here. About once a month, we pray together as a church. Once a quarter, all the locations are in prayer together. What are we praying for? Different things each time? Not really. We're still praying for our two or three friends to become Christians. We're still praying that we'll make impact into our community. We're still, still praying that we'll plant new churches and, and new uh, locations throughout the St. Louis region. And the churches that we're a part of, New Frontiers, will do the same kinds of things. We keep going to God, same thing, over and over again. Come on, God, please do this, not growing weary. And God invites this kind of praying. Isaiah 62, verse 6, should be on the board here for you. He says, On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen all day and all night. They will never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give Him no rest until He establishes Jerusalem and makes it a place of peace on the earth, praise on the earth. This is about the church. This is about us praying into, God, please let your church shine. Let it be glorious. Let it be someplace that continues to attract People, let us continue to go to God day in and day night. And and night, day and night. Whatever. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say. Okay? Give him no rest. I find that fascinating. The God who never tires says to us, Wear me out with your prayers. Just wear me out with them. Exchange your wishes with me. Let me speak to you. Please come and speak to me. Bring me. Your desires. J.O. Frazier was a missionary in China in the 20th century. He said, look, I don't understand you know, prayer just a whole lot, but here's what I want to do. I want to prove that I believe that prayer is of vital importance by giving my first and best energies to it as God may lead. I feel like a businessman who perceives that a certain line of goods pays better than any other in his store, and he purposes to make it his chief investment. First and best energies to what? To praying. First and best energies. In other words, hey, guys, plan to pray. Don't just shoot up flare prayers for, you know, moments. But plan. Set aside time to spend time with God. Annette and I do that. We have date nights from time to time. We want to be together. We want to share life together. That's what God's inviting you to. Come, spend some time with me. Set aside time. Don't give up with all kinds of praying. Jesus, his example, here's on the earth, all night in prayer, up late, up early, spending time, big amounts of time with his father. You might get intimidated by that. Don't be intimidated. There's another example, Daniel. In uh, the book of Daniel, chapter 6, verse 10, it says, when Daniel uh, knew about this document, that he had been threatened that if you pray to any other god but the king, you'll, you'll die, you'll go to the lion's den. So Daniel says he knew that the document had been signed and he went into his house. He had a window in his upper room, his upper chamber, open toward Jerusalem. He got on his knees three times a day and he prayed and gave thanks uh, before his God as he had done previously. We get bogged down thinking, well, we have to have these big, long, extended, you know, t- well, yeah, it'd be great to do those, but don't be afraid, it's three times a day. L- some time before breakfast, some time before lunch, some time before or after dinner. Spend some time there with him there's another place that talks about seven times a day okay break it into smaller chunks seven but the the issue here is continuous persistent don't give up don't give up don't give up keep coming back to him now he continues with this idea about being watchful about being persistent about being staying with it and he says look um give thanks I've had a few times in my life when people have come to me and they've asked me to do a task or something. Maybe you've had this happen to you and they said, Hey, man, uh, would you please do this one? Hey, thanks, for, thanks in advance. Thanks in advance? What's that mean? You know, I mean, I, what do you, thanks in advance. You mean you, you, you must think I'm really going to do this or else you're trying to manipulate me. I don't know which it is here. Okay? I, I, sometimes I would feel manipulated. Thanks in advance. I'm like, eh, okay. And I would do it. Paul seems to be saying that. He seems to be saying, look, as you've been praying, give thanks in advance. Tell God you're grateful for what he's not just done, but what he's going to do. I love that Paul, he often gets swept up into Thanksgiving when he's writing. Thanksgiving is a hallmark of who we are as God's people. We're a grateful, thankful people. It should not be uncommon or uncomfortable for us to give thanks to God in light of what he's already done for us, right? I mean, in fact, the reason we can give thanks the way Paul's talking about it is it's it's a real reason to give thanks. He has invited us to come. The God of the universe who made us, who saves us, has actually invited us to come and spend time with him. That's reason enough right there to simply give thanks. When he invites us, though, he's not inviting us in as strangers. He's inviting us in as, as sons. Prayer is a real issue of faith. He, it, when, when we say to him, hey, please, Father, do this, thank you, there's an element of faith that he is actually going to do the very thing he says he's going to do. He'll listen to us. He'll pay attention to us. He'll move on our behalf. It's not just wishful conversation. God's promise that he will hear and he will answer our praying. And thanksgiving is a statement of faith to the living God. He makes good on his promises. But he, we don't approach him as strangers. We're talking to Christians. We're talking to those who are followers of Jesus. You're not a stranger to God. In fact, you're a son. Now, some of the ladies in the crowd just went, and daughters. And I went, no, actually, let me explain why the Bible actually says we're sons. There was, a, uh, just a, a few years ago, there was a lady, she was in a, had grown up in a culture where Uh, the inheritance only went to the son so you know dad when he kicks the bucket when he dies the all the money all the property everything's going to go to the son and as daughters they were treated like second-class citizens they had really no rights now paul he's writing into a situation like this but this is recent this is just in the last few years this lady she she had this she came to this realization she's reading the scriptures it says hey your sons and suddenly she got extremely excited so this isn't an issue of, you know, women's liberation or, or gender equality or anything like that. When it talks about that we're sons, here, here's what it's saying. Here's this woman. She was a second-class citizen within her own household. She had no rights. She had no hope of an inheritance. And the Bible tells her, hey, you're a son. This is good news. Now she has before God rights an inheritance she's not sub she's not second she's a son and she rejoices in that and we need to rejoice in that as well we have a son this is why we approach god with thanksgiving this is why we approach him with confidence we're sons we have privileges before him we have an inheritance before god paul wrote to a similar culture the daughter's got nothing the son's got everything When there was an adoption, often in Rome, the adoption was not just of little kids. It was primarily of servants who were adult men to be sons in the household. Oh, this is amazing, guys. Look, adoption happening to sons meant these guys were going to get the inheritance. Those who had been slaves are now sons. This is what the Bible says concerning you and me. We were once slaves, we were once secondary, we were once less than, but now through Christ, we're sons of the Most High. We get to have all of the privilege and right of coming to the Father and enjoying a relationship with Him. The Bible tells us that we're sons, and it expresses that to men and women. They're sons who receive... Look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. It's up here on the screen. It says, "...for as many as you of you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ." Listen, there's no more Jew or Greek. In other words, race doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your race has been. You're now a son. Neither slave nor free. It doesn't matter your social standing. It doesn't matter your economic standing. You're now in Christ. You're a son. No male or female. It doesn't matter your gender anymore. When it comes to approaching God and being together as a family, we are sons of God together. It says on here, If you are Christ, you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So we approach God based in amazing promises. This is amazing news. I could not approach God if it weren't for this truth right here. I would be scared to death to go to God in prayer. Except that he says, no, in Christ, you're my son i love to hear from you. Come on. It's a great reason for us to praise, a great reason for us to give thanks. Maybe you're here today and you, and you just don't know Jesus. I realize that. We are, and I love this about Jubilee. We have often people who come in, you don't know Jesus. You're not in a relationship with Him. This thing that it talks about, is just like foreign language to you. I just want to make a declaration to you. Hey, this is something for you today. It's something for you today. Faith in Jesus Christ, believing He is who He says He is. He's the Son of God who came, lived a righteous life on this earth, suffered, died, was buried, and rose, and now lives forever. He's praying for us. I mean, He is living for us. It's just an amazing truth. You can know that today. You can accept His love today, and it changes your life forever. Week by week, we have people who come in here. And, and actually, the, the, that's the reason why we exist. I mean, Rick pointed it out in the bulletin, you know, the back page there. Why does Jubilee exist? Jubilee is a non denominational church committed to being the kind of community described in the New Testament. And then, but in big red letters, Jubilee Church exists to connect people to Jesus. Why? Resulting in God honoring life change. That's why we exist. When you're here, you're an answer to our prayers. If you're a guest here today, it's not just that, hey, I had a friend, they asked me to come, or I just showed up today. No, we've been praying for you to be here today to hear about Jesus. That's what we do. That's what we ask for, continuously, regularly. Prayer is essential to what we as a church are about. Paul, who writes this, he's got a big sphere of responsibility here. He's asking for some big things But they're not just things that he does. They're actually things that in the next few verses he tells us, hey, guys, this is what you are to be about. As you are praying, pray for me, and here's what you do. This is the way you live as well. That's what apostolic men do. They're men who establish churches, and then these churches join them on the mission of taking the gospel into the world. That's what we're about. So Jubilee is part of a bigger uh, sphere of churches called New Frontiers USA. I just want to put a little uh, uh, flesh and bones to this. There should be a picture here of John Lanferman, okay? So this guy here, handsome devil, okay? <laughs> Don't tell him I said that. And um, anyway, so this guy here, he's just a man, right? But he's been given something from God to do, to reach into this nation, to reach around. And get, here's what we've got a goal in front of us, plan a Churches in 100 of the top 100 cities in the United States. He he lives with that burden. He lives with that desire. Prays for it regularly. And guess what? We're a part of a family of churches that relate to John, and guess what we pray for? We want churches in the top 100 cities in the United States. Now, John has other guys who are helping out. Brian Maury is one of them, our lead pastor. He's an apostolic guy. He's, He's helping us out here in the Midwest. There's guys, Ian Ashby out in the Northeast or Bo Noonan out in the Northwest. Okay carl harrington down in the southeast sam poe who's like a prophetic guy who really helps us out quite a bit as well it's a team of men who actually help to serve us to keep us thinking the mission like paul paul writes here he's like hey pray for us pray for us for what well for doors of opportunity to be opened so that we can make known the mystery of christ i want to talk about that a little bit and then so that we can actually make it very very clear for people There are currently new churches being added to our family as well as uh, churches that are being started in in major cities. So like coming, uh, if you go down to Austin, Texas, um, there's a church plant down there by Graham Allen. He's down there planting a church in Austin, and it's amazing. It's called Welcome Church. I'm excited about what's happening down there. We just had our first gathering of uh, churches in California called Celebration California. So a few churches gathered to there. They're wanting to join us. They're saying, yeah, John, we're with you. New Frontiers guys, we're with you. Okay. There's a church uh, right now. uh, Rick alluded to this or mentioned this as well in the Northwest. They're meeting up in, uh, in Oregon, but it's churches in Idaho and Washington and Oregon, all gathering together saying, hey, guys, we're on this mission together. Praying for doors of opportunity, wanting to make Christ known in our region. They're planting a church in Spokane, Washington, up there. Looking forward to seeing great reports about that. Next weekend is Celebration Northeast, so the northeastern United States is, is doing that as well. Ian Ashby and those guys up there. We have two guys who are uh, young guys that are uh, going through church plant training. They're learning how to church plant churches. One guy's from California. One of us are our own guy, uh, Dylan Neely from St. Louis in the city. Okay. He's going through that as well for the next year. We're hoping to see in the next you know, year or so he'll be starting a new location or a new church plant somewhere in this area as well. We'll see what God does, but it's just it's fun to see God's moving us along, opening up doors of opportunity for us and we continue to partner with John. We pray for him. We pray for his team. We pray for Brian. We, we know, hey, we're connected deeply into this mission that we have together. And we want to see big doors of opportunity open for new church plants throughout the United States and around the world. I mean, we connect to other apostolic spheres throughout the world. John is a relationship with those guys as well. The mystery of Christ. What, what's this about? The word mystery has caused a lot of confusion because, you know, we think mysteries are like unknown and unknowable, right? You know, Agatha Christie or I don't know, you know, there's probably better authors to... That's the only mystery theater I know. Anyway, so um, we think of it, it's like we can't know this thing. It's just like shrouded. When the Bible talks about mystery, it's saying this. It was something, yeah, it was once unknown, but now it's been revealed. It's been discovered. It's been opened up. God has shown us something. And the Bible says this. This is the way. Uh, in Ephesians chapter three, verse six, Paul writes this. He says, "The mystery uh, is this: that Gentiles, people like you and me, uh, are now heirs and members of the church, the same body, partakers of the promise of Jesus through the gospel. You're part of the mystery. I'm part of the mystery." It was unknown for a time. It looked like it was just one little nation. You know, just you had to be in the right genetic mix to be able to really have a relationship with God. But Jesus comes and opens up the doors, and no longer, it doesn't matter what your genetic makeup is. It matters that you put faith in Jesus Christ. That's the mystery. And then we're added together to be a community together that has this mission. That's the mystery of Christ. You're part of it, you're here, you're part of the mystery. I'm part of the mystery We're Gentiles being added together as part of God's family. It's amazing truth. It's wonderful stuff. He says, hey, I want to make it clear. Making it clear is often a big challenge. When we think about this, why do we plant churches in different cities? Why do we plant locations? Why does Jubilee have locations St. Louis City, here, Lake of the Ozarks? Well, because of this. We want to make it clear. Each community is different. The communities are just as different as the individuals who who live in them. Our location here in Washington is very different from the location in St. Louis City. And it's very different from Lake of the Ozarks. they got a vacation mentality there, and it's just crazy right now. But they have a community there, and they, they live in that, and they work that out. They make the gospel clear in their community. And that's what we're about, making it clear here learning that our culture is a bit different is helpful because we don't change ever change the message this mystery of the gospel but methods can change the way that we communicate it, the things that we say about the the way that we enter into that can change it can be very flexible okay and so we want to make it clear so just in jubilee we have different locations, and when there are more locations in the city area, guess what? There's going to be different cultures that they are speaking into. But it's on a bigger scale. Austin is different than Chicago. The reason why we want to plant a church in Austin is because, hey, it's different. It's Chicago. You've got to speak a different language. And here's this Brit who's down there in Austin, Texas, trying to talk to the Texans. It, he's got a lot to learn. It's like a foreign language. It's a whole other country down there, right? Atlanta is, is, is a different place than New York City. And so you have to go into these things, hey, when we we say, hey, let's make it clear, what we're saying is bringing the gospel into our community is going to be a little, it's going to look and sound a little different than when it comes to another community. Same message, method will uh, will be different. So each church, each location, each public meeting of the church is intentional about making the claims of Jesus known and seeing people be added to the church. We're intentional about it. And this makes Paul's words here extremely important to you and me. Because we could be thinking, hey, Washington, Missouri, what, 14,000 people, the grand scheme of things, what's the big deal, right? You know, 500 people up in St. Louis City, a a town of, you know, 1.2, 1.3 million people. What different, you know? You could begin to think that location is is dependent, like the, the importance of location is dependent upon where it's located. So yeah, St. Louis is a big city, so it's a much more important. Yeah, in some ways it's more strategic and we can do a lot more from there. But in terms of the importance of doing the mission that we have, each location, each meeting that we have, Sunday meeting, is going to be very important for the task. That's what Paul says here. That's why he brings it down to these statements about opportunity, grace, and individuals. He says, walk in all wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. The best use of time. The best use of our time is to reach Washington. Not that we forget about what's going on in the rest of the world. The best use of our time is that we are in this community. We're dealing with our neighbors. We're dealing with our schools, our jobs, our employment within Washington, Union, uh, Augusta, wherever it is, you know, Lake Sherwood, okay, Labadee, the whole area that we're a part of here, this is our mission field. This is our mission field. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon says it this way, guys. If you don't think you're a missionary, here's what he says about that. Christians are either missionaries or they're imposters. You are a missionary to the place where you live, your location here in Washington. And so Paul says here, because of that, hey, you've got to live wisely. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Now, when Paul uses this word wisdom, here's what it means kind of in his Hebrew culture. It's different than Greek. Greek is like, wisdom is just like head knowledge, you know, it's just ideas. In in Hebrew Hebrew language and Hebrew culture, it's like, no, it's not just ideas. It's seeing life from God's perspective and then acting accordingly. it's, It's knowledge that actually changes the way that you shape your life. And you shape your life around that truth. So in the previous section we talked about earlier, wisdom looks like this. It has to do with our identity, who we are in Christ. It has to do with how we deal with sin. We deal with sin differently. We confess. We find forgiveness in Christ. Life together as a church, that's wisdom. Marriage, we find wisdom there. We find wisdom about how to raise our kids and how we do our jobs. See, those are all solid, substantial ways that wisdom works its way out through our lives. Jesus is the one who is wisdom, and he works out in our lives in wise ways. And Paul says here, hey, guys walk in this wisdom don't ignore it don't turn away from it stick to it walk on it walk in it so wisdom has this knock-on effect when dealing with those that he calls outsiders he says walk in wisdom toward out outsiders now don't get too upset about that terminology you know we're insiders you're outsiders you know that can feel kind of um isolating but it but it is a reality those who've come to Christ were in the family. Those who've not come to Christ yet, you are, in that sense, an outsider. But guess what the gospel does? It's not content to leave outsiders as outsiders. I was an outsider, but Jesus saved me. Now I'm an insider. You may feel like, hey, I'm an outsider today. No, you don't have to stay there. Jesus says, come on in. We're saying, come on in. Become, don't, don't be content with being a stranger. Come on, be a son. Don't, don't be content with being a foreigner. Be part of the family. This is the call of Christ. This is what Paul is saying here. When he says outsider, he's not trying to like, label people. He's trying to say, no, those who are outside, guess what? There's an opportunity now. Come on, be an insider. And that's what we're dealing with here. Walk with wisdom. Why walk with wisdom? Because we want to see outsiders become insiders. We want to see people cross the starting line of faith and become part of the family, even today. And so we have to be very intentional about helping others cross that line of faith. So Paul says, hey, guys, walk in wisdom where? How? Where do you walk to? Guess what? You're walking toward. Toward outsiders. Annette and I were talking about this the other morning, and it's like lights just came on for both of us. We're just like, oh. So the direction of this statement, walk in wisdom, the direction of it is toward outsiders. We just kind of had grown up with the idea that, hey, wisdom is, is kind of, well, basically it's a little bit cynical about unbelievers, and you've got to be careful how you deal with those people, and, you know, I just don't want to be too close. And we kind of read wisdom like this cynicism, and it really hampered, it hindered our ability to reach people. But that's not what it's saying at all. It's saying, okay, here's wisdom. This is the way you live. Now, move that toward outsiders. You take steps across the street. You take... Steps across the room. You take steps across your neighborhood, to the desks next to you, to wherever it is. You move toward outsiders with this wisdom. That's why a few weeks ago we did this thing called the art of neighboring. We spent a whole morning looking at how can I get to know and love the people that live around me in my neighborhood. Do you know the people in your neighborhood? Do you know their names? We want to take people from being strangers to being at least acquaintances Which means, hey, if I care about people, I'm going to at least know their names, right? Do you know your neighbors? Do you know their names? Do you know their hopes, dreams, and fears? Are you making progress toward that? Paul says, hey, guys, move toward outsiders. You're an insider. Don't be content to just be an insider. Be an insider who moves toward outsiders. Just come on. Come on. Move toward them. Be intentional. Pray for them. Pray for them. Listen to them. Pay attention. I was so thrilled yesterday uh, with a, a neighbor relationship that's kind of developing. My neighbor, uh, just uh, one house next to me on, on, as I'm facing my street to my left here, they, they just got a new uh, uh, trailer uh, for camping, a camping trailer, camper. And uh, they had a nice one before, but now they got a new one. And we're out in the yard the other day, and he says, hey, come on come on over and check out my, my new trailer. He was so proud of it. So I went over, and I'm checking it out, and I'm just like, Phew wow, this is nice. You know, it's got recliners and, I mean, it's better than my house. You know, recliners and couches and queen-size bed. And, you know, I mean, it's really sharp, you know. It's bathroom, shower. The shower was tall enough. I looked in there. I'm like, I could take a shower in that shower. Sweet. It's over my head. You know, most showers hit me like mid-chest. And so that was awesome. And I'm just looking, I'm just so, you know, just rejoicing with him, man, so grateful that God's provided for you guys and, you know, da 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 so, now, in the past, he would have waved and said, hi, you know, whatever. But yesterday, he initiated. Yesterday, he saw me coming from my car to the house. He looks up and goes, hi, Steve. And I was just like, yes. That's amazing. Here's a guy. He was a stranger. He would barely acknowledge me when I walked up. Now he's, he is initiating and saying to me, hey, Steve, good to see you. And I'm like, thank you, God. We're making some progress toward knowing our neighbors. The way you handle yourself, the integrity, the marriage you have, the family you have, the financial way, the way you handle your finances, these are like the meat of Christianity. They're like the, 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 the fruit that grows out of the root of Christ, right? We don't do those things to try to gain favor with God. We do those things because they're, they're flowing out of who we are now in Christ. It's not like we're being pigs asked to fly. It's like, no, we've been transformed into eagles. We can fly now. We can walk this thing out because of what christ has done for us it's meat to the community around us it helps them to see okay something's different about ann and elijah last week we were talking with them and they've got new neighbors and uh, the the new neighbor he he kind of gets around him he's like you guys are different i like you guys why well they follow jesus he sees something in them that he really likes now, it would be a shame if our, our neighbors, they recognize good things about us. They compliment, hey, your kids are really well behaved and man it seems like you really kind of got things together. It would be a shame for us to, to hear comments like that and to simply go thank you politely and just move on. Why would that be a shame? Well, because it would be taking the meat and substance of our lives and then failing to add salt to it. The the scripture here says, hey, in your speech, always be gracious. In other words, let grace come out of your mouth all the time. You have great kids. Oh wow. You know what? Thank you, but you know the reason why? It's because of Jesus. It's not because of us. Man, it seems like you got your finances all together that, yeah, you know what? We were a mess, but Jesus came. And he's really changed the way that we view money. It's, it's, we we, we want to be generous now. We used to just try to hog it to ourselves, but Jesus has come, and he's changed our hearts. Oh, man, you guys, you really take good care of your property. Yeah, I know. No. <laughs> that ain't going to happen. Okay. No, hey, the, you know, I used to be pretty lazy, but now I see God, you know, Jesus is changing me. I, I see I've got to be responsible for the things he's given me. See, I was born to what I would say is a good family good mom, good dad, Christian background. And I can begin to think somehow that I deserved that or that I had some choice about that. The reality is when grace comes into my life, the reality of it is I had no choice about who I was born to and what country I was born into. And if I fail to recognize that God's grace is on my life, then what I'm feeding to people is not good, salty, tasty meat that makes them want to know Jesus more. It's bland, religious self-righteousness. That's what it is. It's bland self-righteousness because it fails to add the salt of grace into my life. Why should I take credit for kindness shown to me that I do not deserve? I have done plenty to not deserve the wife that I have, the kids that I have, the parents that I have. I've done plenty to not deserve that. God's been gracious to me. And I don't want to feed people a myth that, hey, it's, you know, you get born into a good family, you become a good person. And it's just good people telling other good people how to live better lives. That's what Christianity is. No, it's not. It's about grace. Grace. It's about the fact that I was totally undeserving and God, he came to me and saved me from the destruction of self. The mission of Jesus is dependent on you and me to buy up these opportunities. To be like a, a businessman who sees someone compliments me on something that's going well in my life. If there is any goodness in my life, it's because of the gospel. It's because of what Jesus has done for me. We buy up those opportunities. Don't waste them. Here it says, know how you ought to answer each person. Missed the line, sorry. Making the best use of our time. Yeah, that's what we're doing. Each of us has a different story of how Jesus came and saved us individually and then added us to the family, added us to the church. And each of your friends are unique And they're individuals, and guess what? The way that they become Christians is going to be very different than the way you became a Christian. I was saved in a church meeting. There may be friends who get saved in church meetings. There may be friends who get saved driving to work, right? We're individual in that way. And it's amazing to me how little slivers of the gospel get into people's lives and they become followers of Jesus. If I look at this last phrase here, how I ought to answer each person, and I begin to think, oh, my gosh, I've got to have, like, arguments and answers for every single person I come in contact with, that's heavy. I can't carry that weight. But that's not what he's saying here. He's saying, look, you know how to answer people because you know people. You have a, an awareness. You can answer each one because, well, they're coming at you in different situations with different life circumstances, and you can pay attention but even if you, you don't know what's going on, maybe if you're not aware, I'm always not always aware, there's really good news for us. If you've got a Bible there, flip to 2 Corinthians 5.20. This verse reminds me and helps me a ton when it comes to God using me to help other people follow Jesus. I hope it'll help you. I don't know if it'll be on the screen or not. I can't remember if I put that one in there or not second uh, corinthians 5 20 here's what it says ready for this god himself is making his appeal whose appeal god's he's making his appeal through whom through us that means i can stumble and bumble and say st- stupid things sometimes but you know who's making the appeal through me god God's making his appeal through me. A couple weeks ago, I heard a story about a, a friend of ours uh, down at Lake of the Ozarks. And she, she said this. She said, look, uh, she hadn't had any church background. She was going through a divorce. It was messy. She was really struggling with life, trying to keep things together. And someone in a conversation just said to her, you know what you need? You just need Jesus. And so, so here's what she said. She said, I walked away from the conversation. and I went, yeah, I need Jesus. Yeah. I need you. Je- yeah. I really need Jesus. And she's going to work, driving her car, she's, she becomes a follower of Jesus. Just off of a phrase. You know what you need? You need Jesus. And suddenly she's there. She's like, yeah, I need Jesus. She's serving him wonderfully, you know, 10, 20 years down the road. She's still loving and serving Jesus for just a fragment, just a fragment of gospel truth. The first guy that, that I ever got to lead to Christ, I, I was just amazed by this. We were 17, 18 years old and... I had no clue. I mean, you know, I'd grown up in church, but talking to people about how to become Christians was just like, uh, 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 you know, I'm tongue-tied and can't think about to say things, and I'm trying to share my story, which I felt like was lame because I grew up in church and I was a pretty good kid, behaviorally speaking, at the time. And it's just like, you know, I'm trying to share... And you know what? The kid became a Christian despite my tongue-tiedness, despite the fact that I bumbled and stumbled my way through. And now he's he's a pastor today down in Springfield, Missouri. And I just look at that and I go, God was at work making his appeal through this broken, messed up kid. Guess what? God is using you to communicate his love and desire for people to come, be restored to God. That's the testimony of many of us. It's not because we had all the facts down. It's because God was at work through an individual, through a person saying, Come on, be reconciled to God. Be restored to Him. This community, Washington, the surrounding area, Franklin County, that we're all a part of here, it needs a church that continually prays with watchfulness, with thanksgiving, asking for our lives to be different, for our community to come to know Jesus. So let's continue to give God no rest, no rest concerning our community. Let's be people of prayer. Let's realize we have a really big mission, right? We're connected to John Lanferman, New Frontiers. We we have this worldwide, nationwide family of churches together, planting new churches, starting New gospel communities trying to help people to connect with Jesus. We want to see churches in the top 100 cities. We're praying into that. We're praying for John. We're praying for Brian. We're praying for these apostolic guys. We have a big, big mission. But we have a mission here as well. As we reach our community, we are affecting more and more lives. Let's continue to move toward those in the circle of our relationships. The eight or so people that live around your house the people that you work with across the desk, the people that you uh, shop with and do business with. Let's remember, hey, to move toward, to take uh, really intentional steps toward their lives as well with grace and with wisdom.